0: Hi, my name is Mary Lynn. I'm a wife, mother, and grandmother, and Women's Ministries Coordinator in Seattle, Washington. You are listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast with John Piper.
1: Mary Lynn is a friend of ours, and I want you to meet her in a moment. But first, today's question, Pastor John, about a month ago in APJ 1993, an episode on expository preaching in youth ministry, should youth ministries work through books of the Bible, you mentioned how artificial it is to distinguish between exposition and application because the preacher is always moving from language to reality. There's no faithful exposition of the text if the preacher isn't constantly feeling the tug from the words of the text to the reality it's talking about. This is a profoundly important point for for preachers, and there's a principle behind it. So I was wondering if you could explain today on the podcast one line from your new book. You have this new book called Foundations for Lifelong Learning, Education, and Serious Joy. And in the book, you wrote this, quote, Every therefore in the Bible, and there are about 500 of them in the Greek New Testament alone, that word un, O-U-N, Every one of them is a doorway to life and love. Explain this principle. How do these 500 therefores in the Greek, which are translated in different ways into English, uh, all from that one Greek word, how do these 500 therefores in the New Testament open the door to life and love?
2: yeah just a word about that statistic I, I did I wanted to uh find some juicy therefores yeah so I did a search on the word therefore in the gospel of John I think I got 16 so they use words like thus or so which yep. are just fine I mean that's yeah. fine yeah okay I love this question especially the uh, the last part about the therefores um opening the door to life and love but before I go there, I really want to say something about that other thing you draw attention to earlier, namely how artificial it is to distinguish between exposition and application. Mm-hmm. That that can be quite controversial because of the danger, real danger— of reading our situation back into the biblical situation and possibly missing the original meaning because of smothering it Mm. with our own sense of what it must mean for our situation. That's That's the danger. And I want to warn students of that. I want to warn our listeners about that. So a great deal of emphasis is usually put on figuring out the original intention of the author for his situation first, And then only after you have done that hard work uh, of interpreting the original meaning in the original setting, you ask the question whether it has any application to your own life. Um, And what you're drawing attention to when you quoted me is that I have said um, that this approach can be quite artificial, meaning it simply won't work. To keep the intention of the author separate from my situation uh, because my situation may be part of his intention originally. For example, when Paul quotes Jesus and the Old Testament and says in Romans 13 9, you shall love the love your neighbor as yourself. Whom does he have in mind by you? He has in mind, I think, everybody reading his letter. Whether it's only Romans or gets passed along to a church in northern Germany, it's God's will for everyone to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So, what does it mean? to interpret that sentence apart from applying it to myself. It would mean trying to grasp the, the meaning of the word love from Paul's other uses of the word love, not just my use of it. That would be a mistake. And it would mean trying to understand the meaning of the word neighbor as Paul and Jesus in the Old Testament used the word neighbor in that context. But do I know what this command means. I mean, means if I can give no illustration or application of what it would mean for me to love my neighbor this afternoon. I don't have any idea. The (laughs) the command is addressed to me, Hmm. not just to the Romans, not just to a first century Jew listening to Jesus. And if it is addressed to me, The line between original meaning and application to me vanishes. That is, here's what I mean by that, because that could be misinterpreted. I mean, I have not finished finding the original meaning until I know some of what it means in my life this afternoon. John Piper, today to love my wife, my children, my neighbor, the people on the street, the beggar at the corner, if I have no idea what that sentence means for my life, I have not interpreted it yet fully according to its original intention, because that was God's and Jesus and Paul's intention, Mm -hmm. that whoever reads this text do what it says in their situation. That's the intention of the text. That's its fullest original meaning. So, by all means, let the original usage of the words and the grammar and the historical context govern our interpretation. But let's not think we are done interpreting, grasping the author's original intention, until we have a sense of how the text works itself out in our lives. This is urgent for us to the degree that we believe God is addressing us, not just the first century, but addressing us by the words of Scripture. Now, here's the connection with all those life-giving, love-producing therefores in the New Testament. Dozens and dozens and dozens of these therefores are intended to have a practical, emotional, intellectual, behavioral effect on our lives today. That's their purpose. That's their intention. So we don't know the full meaning of these therefores until we see what their effect is to be. What's it intended to be? in our lives. Now, what shocked me 55 years ago, in the fall of 1968, was the realization that every time you see one of these therefores in the Bible, you should realize that the authors are arguing. Arguing. Not squabbling. That's another meaning for the word arguing. (laughs) I'm talking about squabbling. They are making a logical argument. That's what I mean by arguing. They are stating premises and drawing conclusions. As when I say to the weary traveler, you haven't eaten for two days. You are hungry. I have a lot of food. Therefore, sit at my table and eat your fill. Now, that is a life-giving therefore. It is a logical argument, like hundreds of texts in the Bible. Three premises. One, you haven't eaten for two days. Two, you are hungry. Three, I have much. Conclusion. Therefore, sit here at my table and share my food. And of course, there could be other premises added to those three, like, I love you. I'm not afraid of you. Now, we have five premises that lead to the great, therefore, share my table. So, you are asking me, when you ask about the therefore, yeah. Tony, you're asking me to celebrate one of the simplest and greatest discoveries I've ever made, mm. namely that the biblical authors make arguments, and the signal that they are making arguments is words like because and therefore, and hundreds of these are life-giving love-producing therefores. For example, here's Matthew 7, 11, and 12. If you then, Jesus says, who are evil, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, that's worth an hour's reflection. How does that therefore work? Where does love come from? That's what Jesus is answering. Where does love come from? Where does the power to obey the golden rule treat others the way you'd like to be treated? Where does it come from? And Jesus says, it comes from the reality behind the therefore. Namely, the confidence that your omnipotent Father in heaven will meet every need you have when you ask him, period. Do you believe him? He will give you the good you need. Therefore, do unto others as you wish them to do unto you. That is what I mean by a love-producing therefore. If you don't grasp the logic, and the reality of the therefore you will forsake one of the great powers and motives for obeying the golden rule or here's 1 corinthians 15:56 to 58 paul has just spent 50 verses describing and defending the glories of what it will mean for us to be raised from the dead and he ends the chapter like this the sting of death is sin The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's what I call a life-giving, therefore. Death does not end your life. You're going to be raised from the dead. Therefore, nothing you do, nothing you do in the name of Jesus is in vain. Press on, be steadfast, abound in good work, live, live because of the therefore of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So, okay, there are hundreds of these, but we have to stop. Therefores give life. Therefores produce love. And we have not gotten to the full intention of those texts until we see this.
1: So good. Yeah, dozens and dozens and dozens of these therefores are intended to have a practical, emotional, intellectual, behavioral effect on our lives today. And we don't know the full meaning of these therefores until we see what their effect is to be in our lives. That's the kind of tool we need to make our own Bible reading authentic. Pastor John, thank you for for that. And before we go today, I want to talk to our friend Mary Lynn in Seattle. You heard her at the beginning of the episode. Mary Lynn, thank you for your time today, your precious gift to the ministry of Desiring God, and have served our team in very tangible ways on the ground in Seattle. I've seen it with my own eyes how you served the ministry and your ministry partner as well in other ways, including financially supporting the ministry. Uh, why do you? Why do you support Desiring God?
0: We truly love the ministry. All of Desiring God's Resources have been the quintessential for all seasons ministry to us. And I would start by saying, if I'm needing a spiritual or emotional pick-me-up, it doesn't take long to scroll through and find an article that's going to redirect my thoughts and even my emotions toward Christ, toward the gospel and eternal things in a way that refreshes my soul. And I think I would say in a way that's so far removed from duty, rather, that really makes my returning and rest to a faithful Savior a true delight. And. It has simultaneously met the needs of our whole family. It's been a unifying force, honestly. We have a family group chat, and every one of us five has at one time or another posted a DG article with a must-read written above it, and it Mm -hmm. becomes a shared experience as a family, a shared growth, and sometimes food for further conversation. We're in four states right now, and we don't get too much talking time, but we share common thoughts at least a few times a month through Desiring God. When someone close to us has had questions, we look it up on DG, or if we've set up a weekly prayer time with friends, we have chosen to listen to sometimes an hour sermon if we have the time, sometimes just a quicker look at the book or an APJ. We actually did look at the book for our small group weekly for a year. Um, And if we're driving in the car with a 15 or 20 minute drive time, we can fit in a quick listen. And honestly, it just changes the whole day or maybe the conversation that we are having. Yeah. Once in road tripping cross-country, we listened to a series and had incredible discussions. Hmm. But invariably, there's just the perfect thing. And I can find something on point and priceless in about two and a half minutes.
1: You're making great use of Desiring God content. Uh, That's why we make it, right? To be shared. So it's encouraging to hear the value of what we make uh, in it being shared through your testimony. I appreciate that. Um, How would you answer... Uh, This question, to those listening right now to the podcast who are not donors to the ministry, maybe they've been blessed by the resources for years that we produced, and now they have the means to give a gift, perhaps a reoccurring gift of $30 a month. To that person considering it now, what would you say?
0: I would say one of the greatest blessings you can give yourself is to support Desiring God Ministries. I call it the best kept secret, the ministry that for years it never occurred to me how my financial input was needed for them to flourish and add to their resources. And yet I was being given riches from their work almost daily. And now the more genuinely godly people at Desiring God I get to know and love, and the more I hear about their outreach around the world, the more of a joyful privilege it is to give abundantly.
1: Wow, encouraging. Thank you, Mary Lynn. Maybe this is true of you now. Uh, You're listening. You've been blessed by Desiring God Resources for years, but it's never occurred to you how your partnership could help us flourish and add to our resources and help us spread them even further around the world. If you are so led, do something very Christian hedonistic. Bless yourself as you bless us and bless others. You can do so by taking this next step with us. Consider setting up a monthly gift of $30. You can do that at desiringgod.org forward slash donate. That's desiringgod.org forward slash donate. We appreciate it. I'm Tony Reinke, and we will see you on Monday.